This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Red Abras. The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Volume 3. Chapter 1. I will advise you where to plant yourselves, acquaint you with the perfect spy of the time, the moment on it, for it must be done to-night. Macbeth Emily was somewhat surprised on the following day to find that Annette had heard of Madame Montoni's confinement in the chamber over the portal, as well as of her proposed visit there on the approaching night that the circumstance which Bernardine had so solemnly enjoined her to conceal, he had himself told to so indiscreet an hearer as Annette, appeared very improbable, though he had now charged her with a message concerning the intended interview. He requested that Emily would meet him, unattended, on the terrace, at a little after midnight, when he himself would lead her to the place he had promised, a proposal from which she immediately shrunk, for a thousand vague fears darted athwart her mind, such as had tormented her on the preceding night, and which she neither knew how to trust or to dismiss. It frequently occurred to her that Bernardine might have deceived her, concerning Madame Montoni, whose murder perhaps he really was, and that he had deceived her by order of Montoni the more easily to draw her into some of the desperate designs of the latter. The terrible suspicion that Madame Montoni no longer lived thus came, accompanied by one not less dreadful for herself, unless the crime by which the aunt had suffered was instigated merely by resentment, unconnected with profit, a motive upon which Montoni did not appear very likely to act, its object must be unattained, till the niece was also dead, to whom Montoni knew that his wife's estates must descend. Emily remembered the words which had informed her that the contested estates in France would devolve to her, if Madame Montoni died, without consigning them to her husband, and the former obstinate perseverance of her aunt made it too probable that she had, to the last, withheld them. At this instant, recollecting Bernardine's manner on the preceding night, she now believed what she had then fancied, that it expressed malignant triumph. She shuddered at the recollection, which confirmed her fears, and determined not to meet him on the terrace. Soon after, she was inclined to consider these suspicions as the extravagant exaggerations of a timid and harassed mind, and could not believe Montoni liable to such preposterous depravity as that of destroying, from one motive, his wife and her niece. She blamed herself for suffering her romantic imagination to carry her so far beyond the bounds of probability and determined to endeavour to check its rapid flights, lest they should sometimes extend into madness. Still, however, she shrunk from the thought of meeting Bernardine on the terrace at midnight, and still the wish to be relieved from this terrible suspense concerning her aunt, to see her and to soothe her sufferings made her hesitate what to do. "'Yet how is it possible, Annette, I can pass to the terrace at that hour?' said she recollecting herself. The sentinels will stop me, and Signor Montini will hear of the affair. 
Oh, mademoiselle, that is well thought of, replied Annette. That is what Bernardine told me about. He gave me this key and bade me say it unlocks the door at the end of the vaulted gallery that opens near the end of the east rampart, so that you need not pass any of the men on watch. He bade me say, too, that his reason for requesting you to come to the terrace was because he could take you to the place you want to go to without opening the great doors of the hall which grate so heavily. Emily's spirits were somewhat calmed by this explanation, which seemed to be honestly given to Annette. But why did he desire I would come alone, Annette? said she. Why, that was what I asked him myself, mademoiselle. Says I, why is my young lady to come alone? Surely I may come with her. What harm can I do? But he said, no, no, I tell you not, in his gruff way. Nay, says I, I have been trusted in as great affairs as this, I warrant, and it's a hard matter if I can't keep a secret now. Still he would say nothing but, no, no, no. Well, says I, if you will only trust me, I'll tell you a great secret that was told to me a month ago, and I have never opened my lips about it yet, so you need not be afraid of telling me. But all would not do. Then, mademoiselle, I went so far as to offer him a beautiful new sequin that Ludovico gave me for a keepsake, and I would not have parted with it for all St. Marco's place. But even that would not do. Now what can be the reason of this? But I know, you know, ma'am, who you are going to see. Pray, did Bernardine tell you this? He? No, mademoiselle, that he did not. Emily inquired who did. But Annette showed that she could keep a secret. During the remainder of the day, Emily's mind was agitated with doubts and fears and contrary determinations on the subject of meeting this Bernardine on the rampart and submitting herself to his guidance she scarcely knew whither. Pity for her aunt and anxiety for herself alternately swayed her determination, and night came before she had decided upon her conduct. She heard the castle clock strike eleven, twelve, and yet her mind wavered. The time, however, was now come when she could hesitate no longer, and then the interest she felt for her aunt overcame other considerations, and, bidding Annette follow her to the outer door of the vaulted gallery, and there await her return, she descended from her chamber. The castle was perfectly still, and the great hall, where so lately she had witnessed a scene of dreadful contention, now returned only the whispering footsteps of the two solitary figures gliding fearfully between the pillars, and gleamed only to the feeble lamp they carried. Emily, deceived by the long shadows of the pillars and by the catching lights between, often stopped, imagining she saw some person moving in the distant obscurity of the perspective and as she passed these pillars she feared to turn her eyes toward them almost expecting to see a figure start out from behind their broad shaft she reached however the vaulted gallery without interruption but unclosed its outer door with a trembling hand and charging annette not to quit it and to keep it a little open that she might be heard if she called she delivered to her the lamp which she did not dare to take herself because of the men on watch and alone stepped out upon the dark terrace. 
Everything was so still that she feared lest her own light steps should be heard by the distant sentinels, and she walked cautiously towards the spot where she had before met Bernadine, listening for a sound, and looking onward through the gloom in search of him. At length she was startled by a deep voice that spoke near her, and she paused uncertain whether it was his, till it spoke again, and she then recognized the hollow tones of Bernadine, who had been punctual to the moment, and was at the appointed place, resting on the rampart wall. After chiding her for not coming sooner, and saying that he had been waiting nearly half an hour, he desired Emily, who had made no reply, to follow him to the door, through which he had entered the terrace. While he unlocked it, she looked back to that she had left, and observing the rays of the lamp stream through a small opening, was certain that Annette was still there. But her remote situation could little befriend Emily, after she had quitted the terrace, and when Bernadine unclosed the gate, the dismal aspect of the passage beyond, shewn by a torch burning on the pavement, made her shrink from following him alone, and she refused to go, unless Annette might accompany her. This, however, Bernadine absolutely refused to permit, mingling at the same time with his refusal such artful circumstances to heighten the pity and curiosity of Emily towards her aunt, that she at length consented to follow him alone to the portal. He then took up the torch and led her along the passage, at the extremity of which he unlocked another door, whence they descended a few steps into a chapel, which, as Bernadine held up the torch to light her, Emily observed to be in ruins, and she immediately recollected a former conversation of Annette concerning it with very unpleasant emotions. She looked fearfully on the almost roofless walls, green with damps, and on the gothic points of the windows, where the ivy and the briony had long supplied the place of glass, and ran mantling among the broken capitals of some columns, that had once supported the roof. Bernadine stumbled over the broken pavement, and his voice, as he uttered a sudden oath, was returned in hollow echoes, that made it more terrific. Emily's heart sunk, but she still followed him, and he turned out of what had been the principal aisle of the chapel. "'Down these steps, lady,' said Bernadine, as he descended a flight, which appeared to lead into the vaults. But Emily paused on the top, and demanded, in a tremulous tone, whither he was conducting her. "'To the portal,' said Bernadine. "'Cannot we go through the chapel to the portal?' said Emily." No, Signora, that leads to the inner court, which I don't choose to unlock. This way, and we shall reach the outer court presently. Emily still hesitated, fearing not only to go on, but since she had gone thus far, to irritate Bernadine by refusing to go further. Come, lady, said the man, who had nearly reached the bottom of the flight. Make a little haste, I cannot wait here all night. "'Whither do these steps lead?' said Emily, yet pausing. "'To the portal,' repeated Bernadine in an angry tone. "'I will wait no longer.' As he said this, he moved on with the light, and Emily, fearing to provoke him by further delay, reluctantly followed. From the steps they proceeded through a passage adjoining the walls, the walls of which were dropping with 
unwholesome dews, and the vapours that crept along the ground made the torch burn so dimly, that Emily expected every moment to see it extinguished, and Bernardine could scarcely find his way. As they advanced, these vapours thickened, and Bernardine, believing the torch was expiring, stopped for a moment to trim it. As he then rested against a pair of iron gates that opened from the passage, Emily saw by uncertain flashes of light the vaults beyond, and near her heaps of earth that seemed to surround an open grave. Such an object in such a scene would at any time have disturbed her, but now she was shocked by an instantaneous presentiment that this was the grave of her unfortunate aunt and that the treacherous Bernardine was leading herself to destruction. The obscure and terrible place to which he had conducted her seemed to justify the thought. It was a place suited for murder, a receptacle for the dead, where a deed of horror might be committed, and no vestige appeared to proclaim it. Emily was so overwhelmed with terror that for a moment she was unable to determine what conduct to pursue. She then considered that it would be vain to attempt an escape from Bernardine by flight, since the length and the intricacy of the way she had passed would soon enable him to overtake her, who was unacquainted with turnings, and whose feebleness would not suffer her to run long with swiftness. She feared equally to irritate him by a disclosure of her suspicions, which a refusal to accompany him further certainly would do and since she was already as much in his power as it was possible she could be, if she proceeded, she at length determined to suppress, as far as she could, the appearance of apprehension, and to follow silently whither he designed to lead her. Pale with horror and anxiety, she now waited till Bernardine had trimmed the torch, and as her sight glanced again upon the grave, she could not forbear inquiring for whom it was prepared. He took his eyes from the torch, and fixed them upon her face without speaking. She faintly repeated the question, but the man, shaking the torch, passed on, and she followed, trembling, to a second flight of steps, having ascended which a door delivered them into the first court of the castle. As they crossed it, the light shewed the high black walls around them, fringed with long grass and dank weeds that found a scanty soil among the mouldering stones, the heavy buttresses, with here and there between them a narrow gate that admitted a freer circulation of air to the court, the massy iron gates that led to the castle whose clustering turrets appeared above and opposite the huge towers and arc of the portal itself. In this scene, the large, uncouth person of Bernardine, bearing the torch, formed a characteristic figure. This Bernardine was wrapped in a long, dark cloak, which scarcely allowed the kind of half-boots or sandals that were laced upon his legs to appear, and shewed only the point of a broad sword, which he usually wore, slung in a belt across his shoulders. On his head was a heavy, flat, velvet cap somewhat resembling a turban, in which was a short feather, the visage beneath it shewed strong features, and a countenance furrowed with the lines of cunning and darkened by habitual discontent. The view of the court, however, reanimated Emily, 
who as she crossed silently towards the portal began to hope that her own fears and not the treachery of bernardine had deceived her she looked anxiously up at the first casement that appeared above the lofty arch of the portcullis but it was dark and she inquired whether it belonged to the chamber where madame montoni was confined emily spoke low and bernardine perhaps did not hear her question for he returned no answer and they soon after entered the postern door of the gateway which brought them to the foot of a narrow staircase that wound up one of the towers up this staircase the signora lies said bernardine lies repeated emily faintly as she began to ascend she lies in the upper chamber said bernardine as they passed up the wind which poured through the narrow cavities in the wall made the torch flare and it threw a stronger gleam upon the grim and sallow countenance of bernardine and discovered more fully the desolation of the place the rough stone walls the spiral stairs black with age and a suit of ancient armour with an iron visor that hung upon the walls and appeared a trophy of some former victory having reached a landing place you may wait here lady said he applying a key to the door of a chamber while i go up and tell the signora you are coming that ceremony is unnecessary replied emily my aunt will rejoice to see me i am not so sure of that said bernardine pointing to the room he had opened come in here lady while i step up emily surprised and somewhat shocked did not dare to oppose him further but as he was turning away with the torch desired he would not leave her in darkness he looked around and observing a tripod lamp that stood on the stairs lighted and gave it to emily who stepped forward into a large old chamber and he closed the door as she listened anxiously to his departing steps she thought he descended instead of ascending the stairs but the gusts of wind that whistled round the portal would not allow her to hear distinctly any other sound still however she listened and perceiving no step in the room above where he had affirmed madame montoni to be her anxiety increased though she considered that the thickness of the floor in this strong building might prevent any sound reaching her from the upper chamber the next moment in a pause of the wind she distinguished bernardine's step descending to the court and then thought she heard his voice but the rising gust again overcoming other sounds emily to be certain on this point moved softly to the door which on attempting to open it she discovered was fastened all the horrid apprehensions that had lately assailed her returned at this instant with redoubled force and no longer appeared like the exaggerations of a timid spirit but seemed to have been sent to warn her of her fate she now did not doubt that madame montoni had been murdered perhaps in this very chamber or that she herself was brought hither for the same purpose the countenance the manners and the recollected words of bernardine when he had spoken of her aunt confirmed her worst fears for some moments she was incapable of considering of any means by which she might attempt an escape still she listened but heard footsteps neither on the stairs or in the room above she thought however that she again distinguished 
Bernardine's voice below and went to a grated window that opened upon the court to inquire further. Here she plainly heard his hoarse accents mingling with the blast that swept by, but they were lost again so quickly that their meaning could not be interpreted, and then the light of a torch, which seemed to issue from the portal below, flashed across the court, and the long shadow of a man who was under the archway appeared upon the pavement. Emily, from the hugeness of this sudden portrait, concluded it to be that of Bernardine, but other deep tones which passed in the wind soon convinced her he was not alone, and that his companion was not a person very liable to pity. When her spirits had overcome the first shock of her situation, she held up the lamp to examine, if the chamber afforded a possibility of an escape. It was a spacious room, whose walls, wainscoted with rough oak, shewed no casement but the grated one, which Emily had left, and no other door than that by which she had entered. The feeble rays of the lamp, however, did not allow her to see at once its full extent. She perceived no furniture except, indeed, an iron chair fastened in the centre of the chamber, immediately over which, depending on a chain from the ceiling, hung an iron ring. Having gazed upon these for some time with wonder and horror, she next observed iron bars below, made for the purpose of confining the feet, and on the arms of the chair were rings of the same metal. As she continued to survey them, she concluded that they were instruments of torture, and it struck her that some poor wretch had once been fastened in this chair, and had there been starved to death. She was chilled by the thought, but what was her agony, when in the next moment it occurred to her that her aunt might have been one of these victims, and that she herself might be the next? An acute pain seized her head. She was scarcely able to hold the lamp, and looking round for support was seating herself unconsciously in the iron chair itself. But suddenly perceiving where she was, she started from it in horror, and sprung towards a remote end of the room. Here again she looked round for a seat to sustain her, and perceived only a dark curtain which, descending from the ceiling to the floor, was drawn along the whole side of the chamber. Ill as she was, the appearance of this curtain struck her, and she paused to gaze upon it in wonder and apprehension. It seemed to conceal a recess of the chamber. She wished, yet dreaded, to lift it, and to discover what it wheeled. Twice she was withheld by a recollection of the terrible spectacle her daring hand had formerly unveiled in an apartment of the castle, till, suddenly conjecturing that it concealed the body of her murdered aunt, she seized it in a fit of desperation and drew it aside. Beyond appeared a corpse, stretched on a kind of low couch, which was crimsoned with human blood, as was the floor beneath. The features, deformed by death, were ghastly and horrible and more than one livid wound appeared in the face. Emily, bending over the body, gazed for a moment with an eager, frenzied eye, but in the next the lamp dropped from her hand, and she fell senseless at the foot of the couch. When her senses returned, she found herself surrounded by men, among whom was Bernardine, who were lifting her from the floor, 
and then bore her along the chamber. She was sensible of what passed, but the extreme languor of her spirits did not permit her to speak or move or even to feel any distinct fear. They carried her down the staircase by which she had ascended, when having reached the archway they stopped, and one of the men, taking the torch from Bernardine, opened a small door that was cut in the great gate, and as he stepped out upon the road, the light he bore shewed several men on horseback in waiting. Whether it was the freshness of the air that revived Emily, or that the objects she now saw roused the spirit of alarm, she suddenly spoke, and made an ineffectual effort to disengage herself from the grasp of the ruffians who held her. Bernadine, meanwhile, called loudly for the torch, while distant voices answered, and several persons approached, and in the same instant a light flashed upon the court of the castle. Again he vociferated for the torch, and the men hurried Emily through the gate. At a short distance, under the shelter of the castle walls, she perceived the fellow who had taken the light from the porter, holding it to a man, busily employed in altering the saddle of a horse, round which were several horsemen, looking on, whose harsh features received the full glare of the torch, while the broken ground beneath them, the opposite walls, with the tufted shrubs that overhung their summits, and an embattled watch-tower above, were reddened with the gleam which, fading gradually away, left the remoter ramparts and the woods below to the obscurity of night. "'What do you waste time for there?' said Bernardine with an oath, as he approached the horseman. "'Dispatch! Dispatch!' "'The saddle will be ready in a minute,' replied the man who was buckling it at whom Bernardine now swore again for his negligence, and Emily, calling feebly for help, was hurried towards the horses while the ruffians disputed on which to place her, the one designed for her not being ready. At this moment a cluster of lights issued from the great gates, and she immediately heard the shrill voice of Annette above those of several other persons who advanced. In the same moment she distinguished Montoni and Cavigny, followed by a number of ruffian-faced fellows, to whom she no longer looked with terror but with hope, for at this instant she did not tremble at the thought of any dangers that might await her within the castle, whence so lately and so anxiously she had wished to escape. Those which threatened her from without had engrossed all her apprehensions. A short contest ensued between the parties in which that of Montoni, however, were presently victors, and the horsemen, perceiving that numbers were against them, and being perhaps not very warmly interested in the affair they had undertaken, galloped off, while Bernardine had run far enough to be lost in the darkness, and Emily was led back into the castle. As she repassed the coats, the remembrance of what she had seen in the portal chamber came with all its horror to her mind, and when, soon after she heard the gate close, that shut her once more within the castle walls, she shuddered for herself, and almost forgetting the dangers she had escaped, could scarcely think that anything less precious than liberty and peace was to be found beyond them. Montoni ordered Emily to await him in the cedar parlour, whither he soon followed, and then sternly questioned her on this mysterious affair. 
though she now viewed him with horror as the murderer of her aunt and scarcely knew what she said in reply to his impatient inquiries her answers and her manner convinced him that she had not taken a voluntary part in the late scheme and he dismissed her upon the appearance of his servants whom he had ordered to attend that he might inquire further into the affair and discover those who had been accomplices in it emily had been some time in her apartment before the tumult of her mind allowed her to remember several of the past circumstances then again the dead form which the curtain in the portal chamber had disclosed came to her fancy and she uttered a groan which terrified annette the more as emily forbore to satisfy her curiosity on the subject of it for she feared to trust her with so fatal a secret lest her indiscretion should call down the immediate vengeance of montoni on herself thus compelled to bear within her own mind the whole horror of the secret that oppressed it her reason seemed to totter under the intolerable weight she often fixed a wild and vacant look on annette and when she spoke either did not hear her or answered from the purpose long fits of abstraction succeeded annette spoke repeatedly but her voice seemed not to make any impression on the sense of the long agitated emily who sat fixed and silent except that now and then she heaved a heavy sigh and without tears terrified at her condition annette at length left the room to inform montoni of it who had just dismissed his servants without having made any discoveries on the subject of his enquiry the wild description which this girl now gave of emily induced him to follow her immediately to the chamber at the sound of his voice emily turned her eyes and a gleam of recollection seemed to shoot athwart her mind for she immediately rose from her seat and moved slowly to a remote part of the room he spoke to her in accents somewhat softened from their usual harshness and she regarded him with a kind of half curious half terrified look and answered only yes to whatever he said her mind still seemed to retain no other impression than that of fear of this disorder annette could give no explanation and montoni having attempted for some time to persuade emily to talk retired after ordering annette to remain with her during the night and to inform him in the morning of her condition when he was gone emily again came forward and asked who it was that had been there to disturb her annette said it was the signor signor montoni emily repeated the name after her several times as if she did not recollect it and then suddenly groaned and relapsed into abstraction with some difficulty annette led her to the bed which emily examined with an eager frenzied eye before she lay down and then pointing turned with shuddering emotion to annette who now more terrified went towards the door that she might bring one of the female servants to pass the night with them but emily observing her going called her by name and then in the naturally soft and plaintive tone of her voice begged that she too would not forsake her for since my father died added she sighing everybody forsakes me your father mademoiselle said annette he was dead before you knew me he was indeed rejoined emily and her tears began to flow
she now wept silently and long after which becoming quite calm she at length sunk to sleep annette having had discretion enough not to interrupt her tears this girl as affectionate as she was simple lost in these moments all her former fears of remaining in the chamber and watched alone by emily during the whole night end of volume 3 chapter 1